0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Duke Football Coverage Podcast brought to you as always by Bull City Coordinators. You can follow us on our website, bullcitycoordinators.com. Check us out on Twitter at DukeFBCoverage. And as you know, since you're listening to this, you can get us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We are on Apple, Google, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, We're also on other social media sites, but I won't waste time going through that garbage. Now, what I want to do, though, is give first a shout out to our guy, friend of the podcast, Ryan Wolitzer, for helping set this up. Thank you, Ryan, for doing what you can to make this happen. I appreciate it. Now, our next guest is a current player, and he probably has the best mustache and mullet combo we have seen in quite some time. It's, uh, it's fantastic. And as a guy who is 40 and is losing his hair, you know what, flaunt it while you got it. I think my introduction has probably given it away, but welcome to the podcast, Porter Wilson. How are you, sir? Good. I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ben. No problem, man. I, I, I'm glad that you're coming on, uh, and this might come off as a little insulting to say to a guest on the podcast, so don't take it the wrong way, but I do not want to see you on the field much this season. Okay. Oh, no, trust me. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> don't take it the wrong way. You're a fantastic punter. You can really boot the ball maybe once a game just to stay fresh for when we need you in crunch time, but other than that, we want to see you on the sidelines. Does that, that seem fair? Absolutely. I'm all for the wins. That's first priority. Okay. Well, uh, I want to make sure physically you're doing all right. Have you recovered from that body blow you took from the official flag against Pitt? Are you doing okay now?
1: You know, it took a few weeks to recover mentally and physically from that blow. Um, but I'm happy to say I'm back at hundred percent and I'm rocking and rolling. Um. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that play? I
0: know you got hit while you were uh, trying to punt the ball and still got off a good one, but just
1: walk us through that play. What transpired? Oh, man, it was just a lot coming at me real quick. Um, obviously, if prof, I did it again, I wouldn't um, deal with it the same, but it was just kind of took a hit, got up, saw flag coming at me, still kind of dazed, just kind of going with it, I guess. I don't know. Um it worked out, though. I got on TV, so. Did you get a lot of grief from your teammates after that one? Nothing bad. It was all
0: just jokes and fun. I hear you. I hear you. Now, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your your background. Uh, can you tell us – you're from Ohio originally. Can you tell us how you got into playing football and then how you ended up being a punter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I started at soccer when I was four years old. Played that all the way through freshman year high school. And I did track and field basketball whole bunch of other things. Um, But I was looking kind of for my route to play college ball, no matter what sport really. And one day I just tried out punting and I tried out kicking first and it, you know, there's obviously signs that I could do something with it. And then, you know, things kind of evolved into just being a punter. And luckily I had a, had a friend's brother. He was the punter at Boston college. It was definitely a big inspiration for me just to kind of learn the basics and like know what I needed to do to get to the next level. What position did you play in soccer? I was goalkeeper and striker. Cause I, I was actually like a foot and a half taller than everybody since I was probably 10. So gave me a good advantage.
0: Uh, I suspected that you might have said you were a goalkeeper given that you're a punter. Now I thought you might go, uh, Go in that direction but tell us you said you ran track and
1: field what what uh what were you running what what were you competing in? i was in the four by four the 200 discus high jump tried long jump a few times 400 a few times yeah i was kind of just doing everything so we saw some wheels that you had on you last season do you have to harken back to your track days for that yeah maybe definitely soccer too i just I love running when I get the chance. Well, I
0: want to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, when you get a play called for you like that with a chance to run it, walk us through what's what's going on in your head and what you're looking for and if it's something that you have discretion to choose whether to run or
1: it's just a design run. How does that work? Yeah, last year was an option, so I was reading it. But it was really just – like it's always punt it, but run it if it's there. So. I just kind of roll out, take a little gaze if there's a gap, then I, you know, just go for it. If there's not, then punt it and play it safe. But I mean, in the moment you're not thinking too much, it's just kind of going with what you feel. But there's obviously more you can see, you know, later on in the film if you made the right read or there was a better option to go with. Does that change the blocking scheme at all, to
0: the extent you can talk about it? But does that change kind of what the guys up front are looking for and what they're
1: doing and what they're trying to create for you? Does that shift assignments in any way? Yeah, at the last year's scheme we had, it didn't at all. It was all just kind of play it like it's going to be punted. So it was definitely nice for the, like the guys up front, just because they do not have to change anything up. They're just kind of doing their normal assignments. And how do they react to that when
0: you uh, sprint through a hole, get a first down, get a nice big run? How are those guys reacting to it?
1: Oh, they're excited. It was a great feeling just to have everybody so pumped up after that because I know we practice it a lot, and all, they all know it's a possibility every time we get that call. But to finally have it you know, go through and get the first down, was, it was a great feeling. Well, I'd like to ask you a little bit about how you ended up at Duke. Uh,
0: doing my research for today. You've been there since 2019 coming into the 2022 season. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to Duke and made you decide to be a Blue Devil.
1: Just the family aspect of it. I mean, there's no other college in the country that kind of put the players first at the level that Duke does. You know, there's a lot of um, recruiting that's sort of fake out there in the college world. So when I came to Duke, I think my mom and I both sort of looked at each other and were like, you know, this place is different. There's another level of care for these, you know, for everyone around me. And on top of that, just the academics are insane. And that was my number one priority when I was going through recruiting. So it really worked out great. And it was even better that Charlie Hamm got to come on with me, too. We've turned into like brothers now, too.
0: I'd like to ask you a little bit about the recruitment process. Talk to us a little bit about what that was like, who else was trying to recruit you. Uh, and, uh, you've talked a little bit about your thought process already, but what set Duke apart to the extent you haven't already talked about it?
1: Yeah. I mean, recruiting was hectic. There's just a lot of people who weren't actually interested in there's reaching out to try to see what you're, are gauging like, um, The main is from Maryland, Vanderbilt, um, Arizona, Akron, a few other smaller ones too. Um, But just in terms of Duke, first of all, the campus was insane. The first time I visited, I remember just like being in awe about how nice and pristine it was compared to all these other universities. And then I had a really good relationship with Coach Benedict, the old special teams coordinator here. He was an amazing guy very personable and definitely I think another big thing too about Duke was just the honesty in recruiting. There was no lying to the extent that other recruiters do. Um, it was very, just like straightforward. This is our plan. This is what we want you to do. Um, this is what we see you doing. And it, it just felt there wasn't a whole lot of uncertainty when it came to Duke. Well, you chose not to
0: go to Maryland, so you've got a great head on your shoulders. Obviously, that's always a that's always a check and a positive check mark in my book. Um, one of these days, I'm gonna have to do a special episode about why I despise Maryland so much, but we'll save that for later. We don't have to get into that now. Yeah. Uh, well, talk talk to us a little bit. Uh, I'd like to switch gears some and talk about what we can expect this coming season from you guys. And we know about the coaching change and all that, but What I'd like you to talk about is the mood of the team now that spring practice is over, kind of where you guys are collectively and what you're thinking about as you head into the summer and start looking towards the fall.
1: Yeah, guys are fired up. I think we're more of a team now than we've ever been. I think the new coaching staff has done a great job to kind of breed competitive or competition and whatnot. And guys want each other to be the best they can be. And they're excited to go out and compete every single day. So I think just the mindset of the whole team, we're closer. We want to – you know, the goal is to win now. It's not – there's not a whole lot of distractions. And I think guys feel like we're really being prepared to win. And I know everyone's been working their butt off. So I think there's a lot of excitement and anticipation. Well, how did the team progress from the beginning of the
0: spring until the end of it? What did you see as far as improvements, changes,
1: alterations in mindset? Yeah, from the get-go, I think it's obvious with the new coaching staff, we weren't conditioned enough. We weren't strong enough. And those beginning workouts were tough for everyone. But, you know, you saw slowly but surely that by the end, you know, we're finishing workouts stronger, faster. Everyone's looking better. The mindsets have just totally changed from, you know, this is what we have to do to win. You know, it's not always going to be fun in games. And I just, you know, guys handled it amazing. Um You can tell that there's definitely a shift in attitude. People are just ready to go out and win some football games. Now, tell us a little bit
0: about your strength and conditioning, Coach. What difference has he made for you guys? You've talked to to us about it a little bit already, but could you elaborate on that some?
1: Yeah, Coach Feely has been incredible. Um, Just the intensity, the workouts we're doing, how hard he pushes us. They're on a whole other level of just – You know, his goal at the end of the day is to make sure we're the strongest, you know, fastest team in the country. And he's definitely doing everything he needs to do to get us there. Um, You know, workouts are probably a lot longer than they used to be, a lot more intense. But, you know, like I said, guys have really come to love that. And they know that, you know, he's trying to do whatever he can to help us win.
0: And I refer to him as the outdated term strength and conditioning coach. His actual title uh, is associate director of sports performance and director of football sports performance. So I'll make that change in my mind at some point. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the new the new coaching staff that you've got. Uh, tell us a little bit about Coach Elko. What should we know
1: about Coach Elko? You know, he's a great guy. He's a players coach. You know, he knows how to talk to us like a family. It's not so much as he's our boss, but you know, he's he's our leader and he knows how to treat us like all like family, treats us like he's we're his kids and uh he's got an insanely good football mind. You know, I'm not the most, you know, football intelligent person out there, but just I've in the meetings, you can tell he's he knows what he's talking about and you know, I like the way he's going with the team and how he's leading it. What about your special
0: teams coordinator, Coach Doherty? Can you talk to us a little bit about him, what he's like, what we should know about him?
1: Yeah, Doherty's been awesome. I think he has a great intellect on the special teams game. There's a lot of schemes, and, you know, you got to know a lot of knowledge on how to run schemes against different teams, and I think he's doing a great job so far. I think he's a great guy, too, off the field. And I just think, you know, I'm excited to have him as my coach. And talk to us about the, I call them the kicking
0: teams, the kicking teams unit as a whole and what we should expect to see from them this year, maybe that we haven't in the last couple of years. Um, You already mentioned how close you and Charlie are, but just tell us about that unit, how it's coming along, how it's starting to
1: gel. Oh, It's been, it keeps growing stronger and stronger. We actually just uh, got a new long snapper, Evan Deckers, from from UMass. He's a grad transfer and he's, you know, fit in fantastic he's we're all essentially brothers in the room there's no one he's an outlier and just I know we all look forward to coming to work today or work every day with each other and yeah I mean we're excited to play with each other we all got each other's backs and it's a good it's a good environment where there's some competitiveness but at the end of the day we're all supporting each other well let's talk a little bit about
0: your Routine during the week of game day and what it's like being a punter. First off, although you don't have it right now, I would like to ask you about the mustache and mullet combo some. Where did the idea for that come from? And would you grow it all season or how does that work?
1: Yeah, so I wanted to do something different, kind of help me stick out a little bit because punting is a very, I don't know, bland position where it's you know, there's not a whole lot of attention going to punters. So I wanted to do something kind of stick out. And, you know, I've always wanted to grow a mullet and I figured I might as well while I have the hair. And my grandpa has a sick mustache. So I wanted to try that out as well. So it just kind of happened. And, uh, it's turned into a every season thing, I believe. Um, you know, I start growing the mullet at the beginning of March. I don't cut the back of my hair. So it's in process right now. Um, I just let it grow all season, and then the mustache starts in August.
0: You you mentioned your grandfather having a good mustache. Is it Tom Selleck level of excellence, or where would you rate it on the scale of, like, Sam Elliott, Tom
1: Selleck? Where would it fall? Oh, I mean, it's it's up at the top for sure. I mean, it's perfectly groomed, perfectly combed. There's no gaps or anything. Solid color. I don't know. It (laughs) is. That's what I try to model them on after. All right. Well, you're going to have to send us a picture of that so we can
0: post it on the uh, on the website for it. We can get uh, maybe an audience poll on Twitter to rank the 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 greatness of the mustaches. I'm intrigued to see that. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But let's let's talk a little bit. Uh, in addition, we'll we'll move past the hair care and the facial hair routine that you've talked about for during the week. And I will say that that is working because Pat McAfee took notice of you right away. I think as soon as you started, as soon as you started dropping bombs, he picked
1: right up on you. Yeah, that was, God, yeah, that was incredible. I was in a loss for words when I saw you just tweeting at me. Well, he was right though. You
0: were, I mean, you were bringing it, and it's been great to watch. But talk to us a little bit about the week of preparation that you go through uh, leading up to to game day, what is your week to week approach to getting ready like?
1: I mean, beginning of the week, it's really just focusing on punting itself. So i just, you know, I'll hit some balls at practice and that's usually when we kick the most is earlier in the week. So it's really just getting my body right, my mind right, fixing any bumps and bruises I have in the training room. Obviously school is a big emphasis as well. So there's a lot of school work going on. Um, And then kind of going later into the week, it's more mobility, stretching, making sure my body's ready to perform. A lot of hydrating, just, you know, not overkicking, just kind of going through some drill work, making sure my mind's right, my body's feeling good. And then game day is really just focusing it on the game. So, you know, getting some good food in, making sure I'm loosened up, rolled out, and, you know, I try not to overthink it because that's the worst thing you can do. So I know I can, you know, I've done all the training. I know I can perform just because I've put in all the work. But... Yeah, I mean, when it's showtime, it's showtime.
0: Talk to us a little bit about what game day is like for you. What are you doing on an average Saturday?
1: Usually starts early morning with just breakfast, and then depending on the time of the game, like if it's like a later game, head on back to the room for a little bit, you know, get off my feet, lay down, probably just watch a movie or something, and then usually have lunch or pregame meal, head on back down, load my stuff up onto the bus, and then, You know, before the game, I'm probably out on the field two hours before, just getting some stretching in, hitting a few balls, kind of just taking it easy, not trying to rush the warm-up process. And then, you know, as it gets down to like an hour before the game, it's kind of just pregame routine. So going out with all the specialists, have the returners come out, hit hit some balls with them. Then, like, you know, after that, it's just go time. It's not a whole lot. I just try not to overdo it. Do you have a certain number
0: of punts that you go for when you're in practice or does the number matter? I mean, is that part of a thought process that you
1: have? Yeah, that's real big importance, especially during the week early on. I mean, I don't want my legs dead. So, you know, I try to keep my numbers. My numbers are a little higher at the beginning of the week. I'll hit about, you know, 50, 60 balls Monday and Tuesday or earlier in the week. But, you know, game day before the game, I'm probably hitting no more than 30 balls. How
0: far if you want to tell us, but how far have you recorded yourself
1: dropping one? How- I mean on it. If we're talking just in practice, probably 80, 90 yards, but maybe not- talking well, that's the line of the – that's from uh, where I'm kicking from, not the line of the scrimmage. So you gotta take 14 yards off that. Man. So seventy something. Okay, well, talk,
0: talk. One of the things I'm always curious about with punters is when you're trying to position it and pin them in a, in the twenty or in the ten or whatever. And a lot of that's outside of your control because the footballs do not bounce like other balls, and you just sometimes get a bad bounce. But can you walk us through what you're what you're doing in your mind and then mechanically? how you're trying to pin the ball in a certain spot?
1: Yeah, so if I'm a certain distance away, like for a shorter punt, I do what's called a pooch punt, which is essentially like an end-over-end punt. It won't spiral. It'll kind of just, like, spin backwards in the air. And that's for the hope that when it lands, it's either going to pop straight up or roll backwards so it doesn't roll into the end zone. So that's kind of like when I'm closer. I say when the line of scrimmage is around the 50-yard line, that's what I'm doing, just trying to nice, easy swing, get the ball flipping backwards, and then – you know, bounce it inside of the 10. But when you get farther back and you're hitting full spiral punts, that's when it's kind of, you know, it's, it's more of a feel thing. So you know what your ball, like, trajectory is like and whether you need to put more hang time on it or try to drive it a little bit more. So it really just depends on the situation and, you know, how I'm feeling that day. There's no real, you know, right or wrong way to do it. It's more just a feel thing. From your perspective, which one are
0: you looking forward to more, a pooch punt, trying to angle it in a certain spot, or just letting
1: it rip? I'd say a pooch punt, honestly, because that means we're further down the field and the defense has a better chance to, you know, get us the ball back closer to the, you know, the end zone. Tell us a little bit about what the practice and the
0: preparation is like for a kicking teams unit, particularly on the punting teams end of things. What
1: kind of stuff do you practice and prepare for? Just, I mean, the biggest thing for me, like specifically, is consistency. Just being able to hit the, you know, ball I want to hit every single time. Um, you know, definitely my drop. I'm sure you may have seen some punters do it before where they just walk around and put the ball in their hand and drop it on the ground. Um, you know, that's where the consistency comes from. And just directionally, just making sure I'm hitting the ball where I need it to be. So I'll lay like one of those driveway sticks in the wintertime, you know, those like orange little driveway markers. I'll lay one of those out on the ground and put that between my feet. And that's like a really good drill for directional punting. Just making sure you're walking while you want to punt it. What is the off season like for
0: you, for you as a punter, what are you doing in the off season to stay fresh and stay ready?
1: It's a good mix of trying to get stronger. So there's definitely a little more emphasis on, you know, working out and trying to build like strength, but at the same time, you know, whenever my legs are feeling fresh, I'll go out and punt like three times a week probably. It's it's definitely a balancing act more than it is in the season because in the season it's all it's all about punting really. In um, the all season it's a little bit more about, you know, getting stronger, faster, while also maintaining, you know, the punting ability.
0: Now, one of the things you mentioned that you do on game days is sometimes you'll watch a movie. What kind of movies
1: do you like? Oh, I'll honestly watch anything. I like this, like, Netflix top 10s. Usually they have something good in there, but I'm also a big uh, TV guy. I watch a lot of – well, I did. I watched a lot of South Park back in the day. Just – it's a mindless show that's easy to watch. Um, Also watch New Girl. New Girl's a good one to watch. No-brainer. My girlfriend got me hooked on that one. But, I mean, there's no specifics. It's really just watching whatever.
0: I got you. I got you. All right. Uh, my son is 13, and we told him when he was 13 he could start watching South Park. So, he, uh, he'll he appreciate hearing that he's not the only one who, who still enjoys the show. Oh, yeah. But talk to – I'd like to go back a little bit to game day. You're on the sidelines for a fair amount of time. What are you doing at that point as you're watching the offense, watching the defense?
1: Walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, when the defense is out there, I'm just, I'm locked into the game. I'm trying to stay, you know, just, I'm trying to watch everything that's happening. I'm just trying to support and be loud, and, you know, I mean, it's really just watching a football game, and then when the offense heads out there, it's the same thing for first and second down, but after second down, I'll usually take a punt to the net and run onto the sideline by the special teams coach and just be ready in case they need me, but, you know, I try not to overkick on the sideline, because that's how you get your leg dead, and It's just not, you know, you got to be careful about that, but I don't know. I try not to try not to overthink it or be too worried about it. It's kind of like, I know what I need to do. I know I can do it. So, you know, second down, I'll take a punt to the net and go onto the sideline and be ready.
0: You mentioned uh, we, well, we talked about this before we got started, but you also mentioned it some during the interview.
1: Tell us a little bit about what it's like balancing the schoolwork at Duke. Yeah, it can be a lot. Um, Definitely depending on the week too. I know a lot of my uh, classes in the past, I like to you know, give out work in the same week and make them do the same day. So it's really just about finding any free time you have just to get the work done. This, you know, at the end of the day, it's not an option, you know, we're here for school too. So I don't know, it's really just any chance you have to get some homework done, you know, especially on those late game days too, where you have like a 7.30 game. I'm usually doing homework in the hotel. Um, but yeah, I mean you really you really have to have your priorities straight. There's no there's no extra extra time to you know be messing around. Well, one thing I'd like to ask you about is name
0: image and likeness cuz we've seen the whole world just blow up over Jordan Addison entering the transfer portal and I will say we've heard a lot of rumors about it, but I, as you guys know I'm an attorney, I just let's wait till all the facts come out before we make any judgments about what USC may or may not have done or what any of the other schools may or may not have done. We don't know yet, but I'm just curious what you, what your thoughts are generally without maybe commenting on any specific player about guys deciding to transfer from where they are to go to another school, because maybe they can get a better NIL arrangement in a different market. If you have any thoughts on that, because I mean, The way I look at it is you all have pretty short and unguaranteed
1: careers, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are on what we're seeing develop. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's just a player-by-player decision. You know, if they they just want to go out there and, you know, make as much money as they can, then I think, you know, go for it. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's really just up to the player at the end of the day. I mean, I totally understand just going to get the money while you can. And making the most of like your short period of time playing football. Um, See, so, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. as kind of like a kid going three and out and going to the draft. It's getting the money while it's there. So, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't have a huge opinion either way, but I definitely am not against it.
0: One thing I'd like to ask you about is, and I asked current players this a lot because I think it's important to hear it from current players since you guys are in the thick of it. I'm a fan. Most of the people who listen to this are fans. What would you tell us, if anything, that we should know and be more aware of so that we can be better fans and be more supportive of the team and the players as a whole?
1: I'd say just, you know, coming to games, supporting. I know the new coaching staff is really, you know, going to be appreciative of that. Um, hopefully like the game day atmosphere is going to be a whole lot better this year. Um, I know the team, you know, that's the biggest thing for us, like bring some energy to the crowd. You know, whenever we go to like Virginia tech and it's a full house and then we come back to our house and, you know, we love our fans, but let's fill that place up and, you know, let's, let's get it loud. But I mean, at the end of the day, like we love our fans. We just love to see more out of games. Well, you
0: mentioned Virginia Tech. I wasn't going to bring this up, but I was at that game last year. I was the one yelling at you as you were coming out of the tunnel at halftime. Yeah. That, that atmosphere is another level. It is amazing. I was there for the Notre Dame game, half of it uh, last year. My wife wanted to go home early. We're kind of go to bed early, people. But, man, that is the best place in college football, I think, to go catch a game.
1: Oh, man. It's unreal. I've never – you know that was close to the uh, Chick Fil A Bowl with playing a uh, Bama back in 2019. I think like the atmosphere was just loud; you could feel the crowd.
0: Yeah, that game was. Uh, it, talk to me about that game from your from your perspective. I mean, I was driving back. As people who've listened to this uh, podcast will remember, I was driving back from seeing my grandparents, and I was catching it on random radio stations, like on AM it was fading out and I try to find another station, you know, and I'm listening to it and I'm hearing Kobe's getting a sack, you know, and I'm excited there. I'm like, go, go for it on fourth down, get a touchdown, you know, but what was it like on the sidelines
1: for you guys? This is for the Bama game. Yeah. Oh, that was, so I was just a little freshman at that time. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect out of college football as my first time being on a sideline for a game, but I know, you know, that first half was unreal. It's just like, You know, you could tell Bama was getting a little scared. They're bringing back players that were supposedly suspended or, you know, out for the first half of the game or whatever. You know, you could tell we definitely shocked them a little bit. But, I mean, that crowd you could literally feel in your body just every time Bama made a play. It was unreal. So that was definitely, you know, eye-opener to what college football can be like. What do you think
0: it's going to take to create that kind of an atmosphere in Durham at Duke games to kind of mirror what we see at Virginia Tech and some of the other places and what they're starting to build at Wake if they can keep up what they've been doing the last couple of years? What do you think it'll
1: take for us to see that at Duke? I mean, I think it just starts with winning games. You know, people want to see a winning team at the end of the day. And, you know, I think the new coaching staff is definitely taking that to heart and they're they're making it happen. And I definitely think this fall is going to be completely different. So I know I think it starts with us, but it also starts with uh, just fans sticking with us, even if it doesn't go our way. But, you know, I think it's definitely going to turn, you know, Duke football is turning around. It's going to be a big program.
0: Talk to us a little bit about what your future plans are, what your on the field, off the field plans. I mean, you've been at, at Duke since 2019.
1: What what should we know about you going forward and what do you have in mind? I plan on just using all my eligibility at Duke, just keep coming back and playing ball for us. And, uh, you know, I have six years total, so I got three seasons left, and I plan on using all of those. And, I mean, unless I win the right guy, I'm, I'm going to keep coming back. What do you want to
0: do after if you've given any thought to it? That's fantastic. I didn't realize realize you had three seasons left. So, all right. That is, yeah. Uh, is I'm, – I'm one of those bel- – I believe that the kicking unit can win you two to three games a year. It can also lose you more than that, but it can certainly win you that number. So I'm very excited to hear you have that much eligibility left. Uh, But what about after your time at Duke, if you've given any thought to it, what are your plans, if any, for the future?
1: I haven't thought about it a ton. I've also not been able to kind of experience it, you know, the job world as much yet. I'd love to do some internships and kind of, you know, feel it out what I'm passionate about and what I actually, you know, have fun doing. Um, so, you know, right now I don't have a whole lot of idea, something with business or, you know, I'm not going to be a doctor or anything like that, but i I just want to, you know, work a few places and see what I like to do. Well,
0: I think the, from talking to a lot of the former players the alums i think they will all tell you that the duke alumni network will be very helpful to you going forward do you have any commentary on that about people who might be considering coming to duke what they should keep in mind because i can talk about from my the law school i went to how loyal our alumni are and how helpful that is going forward but do you have any comments on that
1: or anything you'd like to say about that yeah i mean when i say like the alumni network is half the reason for coming to duke like that's that's not a lie at all. Um, You know, Duke people take care of Duke people. And if you come here, like you're, you have access to one of the best networks in the world. And I definitely think that's a huge consideration when you come to Duke is, you know, you're getting a whole lot more than education.
0: And, you know, having been practicing law since 2008 and going out of my way to help WNL Law School alums, and we do that a lot, I can tell you it makes a difference in hiring decisions back when I was part of the group that would have some involvement in who we would hire at my old law firm, I would always, if two people were equal and one was a WNL alum, I would always push for the WNL alum, hands down. And I'd always try to push that person up because I was trying to give back to my school and build the brand. And, you know, if Anybody is listening to this who's considering coming to Duke at age 17 or 18, you may not appreciate how important that is, but you can ask your parents or your friends or current players about it, and they will tell you how important it is because it is tremendously important. And if you have a chance to go to a school with a great alumni network, do it because that will pay dividends for
1: you long-term going forward. Yeah, generally makes it a 40-year decision, not just a 4 You'll be set for life. You go to a good place with a good alumni network.
0: Well, Porter, you have been very kind to take some time here on a Saturday, uh, and, uh, talk about football and, and what you've got going on and the team, uh, heading into 2022. I like to give everybody an open mic who comes on, let them talk about whatever they want to talk about. So the floor is yours.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's been great having being on here and You know, I love talking to fans and, you know, to see everybody at the games this season and, you know, don't be scared. I'd love to say hi to all of you guys and appreciate you guys listening. Also, I think you definitely want to tune in some games this season because it's going to be amazing.
0: Well, I can tell you we are definitely looking forward to that. Uh, We're trying to make a decision now as to which game we're going to go to this year. But I do have some good news. My brother and his wife are moving back east from California They have purchased a house in Raleigh. So if it's a late game, I got a place to crash now and stay without having to drive uh, three hours back home to Roanoke. So I may I may start making it to more than one game a year now. Um, Made it to three last year, but I don't know if I'm going to do that every year. I got a busy trial calendar this fall, but I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys. Tim and I, the coordinators, we will be watching. We will be drinking beer. We will be playing music to do everything we can to get you guys to win. We're excited to see you all. Porter, I really appreciate you taking the time out of Saturday to come on and talk to us. We have a couple more interviews lined up, some commits. I've got to nail a couple of things down and try to finish out this offseason strong before we go back to just doing – write-ups during the season over at bullcitycoordinators.com. So stay tuned. We got some more stuff planned. We've got some more stuff coming that I think you'll appreciate. Go Duke.